I want to continue this series of messages we've been doing since Pentecost happened almost 2,000 years ago and the continuing impact of Pentecost still is in the world today. Now, America is just over 240 years of age, but the church is over 2,000 years old. 2,000 years of impact in every nation through war, through famine, through danger, through trial. Nations fall, governments fall, leaders fall, but God's will doesn't. And we know the Bible tells us that we are on a timetable. There's a beginning, and there's a middle, and there's an end to the times that we live in. But for 2,000 years, God has had a purpose, a reason, for the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So in Acts chapter 2, which tells us about Pentecost, the Bible says there that all of them, speaking of the 120 who were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and we're just reviewing for a moment the day of Pentecost message that we brought. On that day, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in languages they did not know. Jerusalem had easily a million people in it. They were out in the streets. They were speaking about the wondrous God they loved and the wonder-working power of God. And many people heard them and were shocked and amazed at what was happening. In fact, they were so shocked that when they heard these speak people speaking languages they had never spoken before, and they could hear them in their own language, they said, what's going on here? These people must be drinking. And immediately Simon Peter spoke up and said, no, they're not drinking. They're not drunk. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the fulfillment of a prophecy by Joel in the Old Testament that in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be uh, poured out. And this prophecy came true on that day. Now, on that day of Pentecost, harvest time began. Harvest. The harvest has been going on now in the world for almost 2,000 years. By that I mean every generation has been given the gospel, been told the gospel of Christ. The purpose of saying that gospel and teaching that gospel is to bring about change in a fallen world. God is always working to help men, to save men. He's patient, long time, big time patient, not willing that any generation perish, said Simon Peter, but that all come to salvation. But at the same time, there will be a time when it all ends and Christ returns and the church is taken out of the world and then the judgment day begins on planet Earth. But why is there a Pentecost? And what is the impact of Pentecost? What does it mean? Why did God send the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Why, why is there Pentecost? Why were the people filled with the Holy Spirit? Why? 
I wonder if you could answer that question if somebody asked it to you. Well, could you tell me why all this happened? Why, why, why is there a church? Why do these preachers speak about Jesus? Why do Christians talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do Christians read the Bible and the prophecies? Why do they believe it? Why do believers talk about the end times and the return of Christ? And why does the Holy Spirit seem to be such an important person in the life of a believer? What would you say to a person if they were to ask you such questions? Or maybe you yourself have asked these questions. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? Why are we told to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why are we told that we are to every day seek the filling? And that word there literally means the fulfilling. It doesn't mean to fill up your tank like you fill up your gas tank with gas, your car's tank with gas. It means to be fulfilled, not to be empty and devoid of meaning and purpose and joy and peace and power. That's what it means. To be filled every day with the possibilities of power. Now, I know for many Christians, I've been in this situation myself at times, we lose our tranquility. We feel close to God sometimes. You don't need to give me an amen, but you can say it in your own heart if what I'm speaking is true. There are times when we feel so close to God. We feel so strong, so powerful, so joyful, so at peace in our life. But there are other occasions when it seems like God is a million miles away. We can't understand what's happening in our life. Why did this happen to them? Or why did this happen to me? What's making this happen in my life? Why do I feel detached? Why do I feel inadequate? Why do I feel like other people have got it together, but I don't? Why? Why do I have these ups and downs? Why don't I have stability in my life? Why is God's presence, some Christians ask, so inconsistent in my life? Why is God's presence so inconsistent in my life? Well, there's the problem right there. God's presence is never inconsistent. Never. That's one reason the Holy Spirit came 24 hours every seven days, every year, every decade, every century, now going on 2,000 years. Every second, the Holy Spirit is working in the world and including your life. Now, the Holy Spirit is constant. He's constant every day in your life you may or may not perceive that the Holy Spirit is working in your life for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you've been careless. Maybe you're dabbling in sin. Maybe you've got other things on your mind. Maybe you can't focus. Or maybe you've just plain forgotten the mighty promises of the Bible and you've gotten accustomed to kind of hobbling along, just kind of making it and doing the best you can when you can, and being satisfied with that, thinking that I'm just not going to be like that spirit-filled Christian that the Bible speaks about. Now, some things to remember about this. 
First of all, the Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it tells us the Holy Spirit is consistent and persistent in your life, working in your mind and heart and soul. He works every single day. However, I wonder if you've realized this about your life. You and I both have <clears throat> a pathway of circumstances in what one man called the vicissitudes of life. It's a big word. It simply means the ups and downs and surprises and failures and successes of life. And they come and go, and we're on this roller coaster ride. And there are patterns of life that we live. For example, let me use Christ as an example. When Jesus was baptized, heaven opened, the Bible says, and God the Father himself spoke about Jesus and he said, you remember what he said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What a moment that was for Christ. What an exaltation. What a joy. But then in the very next verses after that, we're told that God sent Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation. What a hell that must have been. Alone, tired, hungry, pushed to the limit, tempted, feeling, the feelings of being alone, isolated, wondering what was going to happen. And even Jesus, as a man of faith, faced these ups and downs, these ups and downs of life. But during it all, Christ demonstrated that God was constant in his life. How do we know that? Because he overcame the 40 days. He made it through the 40 days. He came out victorious during the 40 days. He lived a victorious life even though he came out looking like death, feeling sick, bags and darkness under his eyes, his stomach growling, his body racked with pain. He came out of it. He came through it. And many times, God leads you through things that you don't think are ever going to end. And you're wondering why they're going to happen and why God is inconsistent. But that's not the issue. God is never inconsistent. Our perception of God is inconsistent. So what is a Christian's right perception of the Holy Spirit and understanding why he sent the Holy Spirit? Well, you've turned there to Acts chapter 2. Let's read that and then turn to another passage. Acts chapter 2 tells us, When the day of Pentecost came, they, all the Christians, we're all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Notice that each. All of them. Notice the word all. Each and all. All in each. Each and every one. All of them were filled or fulfilled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages, that's what the Scripture says in the next few verses, as the Spirit enabled them. Now that happened to the group of them. But what about this individual Spirit-filled life? Well, turn to the right from where you are to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. 
one of the most well-known passages in the Bible that you and I ought to read and reread and reclaim regularly, even daily, in our life. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, God tells us what to expect. Be very careful. Then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. That is the Christian life. A life of opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. And you've gotten it from heaven. The days are evil on planet earth. There's evil all around us. We see this more and more in our times today. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. In other words, don't fall off the face of the planet. Don't lose your faith. Don't go into depression. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't lose your faith. Keep your faith. God is consistent. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand it. Not to get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, God says, listen, you could go off on a, a bender. You could go off on a binge. You could try to find other spirits of the world, including alcohol or drugs or pleasure or whatever. You could try to go off on that binge because you see so much evil in the world and you're going to try to escape and drown yourself in that. But God says, no, get wise. Don't be foolish. Wise up. Understand this. God's will for you is this, that you be filled with the Holy Spirit every day of your life. And the language here is simply this, be being filled every day. Be being filled every day. That's the language that's spoken here in its original language. So it's a daily thing. It's a fulfilling thing. It's a necessary filling so we will live a consistent life. Now, my dear friend, that's what God has for you personally every single day. Every single day, God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were a sponge and God picked you up tomorrow morning and started squeezing you like you and I would squeeze a sponge, you know what God wants to come out of you? Spirit-filled power. That's what he wants to see. Spirit-filled power in every pore of your being, in every thought in your mind, in every act that you follow through with. He wants to see the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, overflowing to fulfill you and to fill you every single day. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why we can say, thank God, praise God, that we have the ability by the Holy Spirit to live a Spirit-fulfilling life and not be like millions who've gone to the drink or the drugs or escapism or materialism or into politics or into some kind of different kind of a life and finding nothing there. They can go into even education or to writing or media or entertainment, a thousand different things without finding the true meaning of life. So now I want to conclude my message with the second half of it by talking with you about the church. 
how does God fill the church with his spirit? Go back to Acts chapter 2, would you? Acts chapter 2. And we're going to see the real life experience of those initial Christians, those original Christians who came together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them, every single one of them. There wasn't a one who could not be filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. But why? Why does God want to fill Gateway Community Church? Why does God want to fill any church, every church, all churches with the Holy Spirit? He wants us to experience the filling and export the ministry of the church into the world. And how does this happen? What makes it so great? Well, it all falls under the heading, why are we filled with the Holy Spirit in the church? It falls under the heading, the word fellowship. Say that with me. Fellowship. Fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? Well, one person said it's two fellows in a ship trying to get across the lake. Well, you could say that's true. But fellowship is all the believers, all the men and women together on the ship of grace, sailing across the sea of life together with power and grace and not getting sunk, not getting blown around by the winds or stalled by the calm or afraid on the waters. God wants the fellowship of the church to sail on by the power and the means of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, we're told in verse 42, turn there with me. You're in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42, and you'll find what happened to the believers regarding the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, I told you fellowship is two fellows in a ship, but let me give you a biblical meaning, okay? The word fellowship in the Bible is a Greek word that is called koinonia. Koinonia. Can you say that with me? Koinonia. Koinonia. Greek word for fellowship. Once when a, a couple were saved, and I began to teach them in our discovery class the fundamentals of the Christian faith, I taught them koinonia. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, fellowship with Jesus, and fellowship in the church. The quality of the fellowship in the church among the Christians depends on the Christian's fellowship with Christ and fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So I taught this concept, this teaching, this doctrine of the koinonia of the church. And this young guy, he was about 30, he was a live wire for Christ, he was very evangelistic, and he said, Pastor, I've been telling all my friends about that, that fellowship thing, that he couldn't say it, but he knew what it was. He experienced it, and he was telling people about it. He was very excited about it. That's the reason any church can be excited about inviting other people because of the koinonia, the fellowship of believers. So how did the fellowship of the believers in the church and in every Christian church how is that to behave? How does that to sh show up in the world? And how does it impact the church? Well, let's look at it. You still with me? 
chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible says the fellowship of the local church then and now is to revolve around, notice what it says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that word teaching there is simply doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, their teaching. No Christian can really be on fire for God and filled with the Holy Spirit if you don't understand and know and learn doctrine. The Bible is filled with doctrine from Genesis to Revelation. Every topic you can imagine. It's not my purpose today to name all the doctrines. I know you're happy about that. But I'm talking about the one of being filled with the Holy Spirit, church. This is one of the doctrines of the Bible, that the church in mass is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are to be fulfilled it. So in it. So they devoted themselves. Now, let me ask you a question. Who or what would you say you are honestly and truly devoted to? Who are you completely devoted to? What are you completely devoted to? Now, you know that word is not used a lot. But what does it mean to be devoted to someone? Devoted to something. Well, it's simple. It means you give everything you are. You give yourself totally, completely. No holding back. Christ is Lord of your life. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of your life. Father is the father of your life. The Bible is the guidebook of your life. The church is your family in the Christian life. And your mind is the place where God's word resides. Your spirit fleshes it out and makes it come to life through your own body. You are devoted as a Christian. So they were devoted to the doctrine. This is one reason the Holy Spirit came, to enable you and me to be devoted to God. They had fellowship with God. They had fellowship with one another. Now you know how that fellowship was seen in that early church? Now, I'm giving you the result of reading and understanding how the Bible says the church functioned. How was that fellowship of the Holy Spirit seen in those members in that church? Well, it was seen in their faces. It was seen in their eyes. It was heard in their voice. It was seen in what they put their hands to do. It was seen in how they gave one another the right hand of Christian fellowship repeatedly, week by week, even day by day. It was seen in the attitude they expressed toward one another. They were devoted to one another sincerely. They loved each other and they liked each other and they lived for and with one another just like Jesus said. What was it that Jesus said? The world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Isn't that something? Not because you go off on a spiritual retreat somewhere, but because you love one another in God's church and you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit and you and 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, the breaking of bread there could mean the Lord's Supper, but I don't think so, because it's mentioned again, the breaking of bread. That means they ate together. Now, you very well know that in churches like ours, we love to have fellowships around food, do we not? That's one doctrine we believe in, I think. We believe in the doctrine of food. We believe that food creates fellowship. But actually, the fellowship creates the food. I'll tell you why I know that. Even food can't draw some who are away from God into fellowship. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that draws people to Christ and then draws them to other Christians, and we all enjoy being with Christ. It's the fellowship that draws us to the food, but it's the food that we taste. So they had their meals together from time to time. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, let's read on, look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now during that time was a time of miracles and signs and wonders, different than today. And yet today there are still signs and wonders of conversions, signs and wonders of healings, signs and wonders of churches on fire for God, signs and wonders of little churches standing up in the face of opposition against government, signs and wonders of Christians even dying for their faith and not being afraid, signs and wonders of men giving up drugs and alcohol and taking that money and feeding their family, being loyal to their wife, signs and wonders of women giving up all that junk they see on television about what makes a real woman and come to God and become a spiritual, lovely woman in Christ and living for Christ and loving her husband and loving her children and working hard if she's working and being a testimony. That's a miracle today. That's a miracle. That's a sign that God is alive in the world. Yeah, there are signs and wonders. Now, I don't know many pastors, and in fact, I don't know any, who can do miracles like Simon Peter did. And I think I know the reason for that. The reason is that pastors and preachers are called to pastor and to preach. If you were a signs and wonder person, and if that's what you did, you would have crowds crowding around you constantly. You'd be at the hospitals. You'd be even at the morgue. Pastors, pastor, come alongside people. Preachers, preach and teach. Preach, reach, and teach the fellowship of God. And so the Bible says that at that time, Simon Peter, who had become the preacher pastor, was able to do miracles from time to time. But in Christ's time, he did many miracles. How did Christ draw so many people around him? Do you think that a crowd of 6,000 people would just walk up behind a man because he said he was going to bring a, a little message about being good to your neighbor? Or what if they'd heard that he could do miracles and produce food? Well, they followed the miracles. What if they were told and heard that he could heal the sick? He could raise the dead. God's presence was in the world through Christ, through his miracles. And all those miracles were meant to do, now listen to me, 
was to authenticate Jesus as the Son of God and to bring people close to Him so He could bring the gospel to them. Now, what happened when those big crowds came? Well, out of those big crowds, there were, crowd, there were faces in the crowd who were hearing what Jesus said, be saved, repent, believe. And they came out of the crowd, and they became disciples of Christ. But many, many, many more in the crowd, when the food was gone, the miracle stopped, they turned and walked away and said, I'll see you on another day. I'll come back for another miracle. I want to see something more. I want to see some more of this. I like this supernatural stuff. But they weren't disciples. So in the world today, Christ still does his miracles. The Holy Spirit still does miracles. But the emphasis today is on preaching and reaching and teaching and fellowshipping and building churches to bring people to harvest in the power of God. Well, let's go on. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this was a very significant characteristic of the early church. They were so together after the day of Pentecost. And by the way, they were beginning to be under persecution. Some of them lost their jobs because they were Christians. Some of the women had their husbands in jail. The kids didn't have food to eat. Some had lost their seniority. They were in danger of losing their homes. There was Caesar to contend with, the Roman Senate to contend with, the devil to contend with, liars and false prophets to contend with. And because of all of this, they had the Holy Spirit that enabled them to be consistent and persistent and to persevere, not only in good times, but in bad times. And they persevered. And the Bible says when they saw a need, if they had any money, they shared it. If they saw a need, they brought some food. They prayed together. They believed together. They were together. And then look at verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So what? how many days a week did they have church? Every day. What's our theme song for 2022? Every day. <laughs> Every day they met in the temple courts. They worshiped God. There was teaching there. Now, they weren't in the Jewish temple primary. They were in the courts outside the inner sanctum of the temple. And they were teaching about the fulfilling role of the Messiah Jesus, and many of them believed. So they met together in the temple courts. Now, look at the next verse. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. In other words... Uh, it was very, very important and necessary since there were no permanent church buildings. They were meeting in the temple. That, had to, that stopped eventually, however. Persecution arose, and there was no permanent church building, so the church went into homes. It eventually had to go underground, secret meetings. And so every day they would eat together with glad and sincere hearts. Let me ask you a question. Are you glad? <laughs> are you a glad person? 
And I don't mean just happy because things are going okay. I don't mean you maybe like to tell a joke or two. I mean, are you glad? Is there a glad soul inside you? Are you glad because of God? Are you glad when you pray? Are you glad when you look at the one you married in Christ? There's one thing I'm so happy to say, that I'm such a glad husband. I have a great wife. I'm glad that God brought us together, and we're glad together. In fact, sometimes we get so glad that we want to tell the other one to shut up. Don't be so glad right now. But we're glad. We're glad. We're glad in Christ. We're glad in the Lord. We're glad in the faith. We're glad in the ministry. We're glad. Are you glad? It's apart from your work. It's apart from the problems. It's apart from the issues. It's apart from the circumstances. It's even apart from your own personality. You may be a joyful person. You may be a soulful person. But you're glad. You're glad. And one of the aspects of that that makes that even greater, it says they were glad, praising God. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Sincere hearts. You know, I really believe one reason so many unhappy Christians are alive and around today in the local church is this. When a Christian becomes insincere, and I'm going to tell you what insincerity looks like. Here's what it looks like. Here's a man or a woman, and they claim to be a Christian. They say they're going to live the Christian life. But everything they do, the way they think, the way they live, the way they use their resources, everything about them is just the opposite. It's the world's way. It's the self way. It's the ego way. So even though they claim it, they're living a different way. You'll never be a happy, joyful, glad Christian until the way you're living matches up with what you say you believe about Christ. If you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, well, are you living that way? Well, when those two things match, then you're sincere. Then you're sincere. And then the gladness begins to flow out of you. And this church was full of glad people who were sincere, says the Bible. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In other words, they all liked each other. They liked to be around each other. They liked to worship together, to sing together, to witness together. You know, one thing that's very exciting to me about Gateway Community Church, we do things together periodically, but you know what? Over the years, one of the things that has inspired me about you is that when it comes time to go out into the community, put on your red Gateway shirt, and get out there in the sun and knock on doors house to house, so many of you show up every time. You show up every time. No excuses. You're there. You pray, you go out, you talk to people, and you get happy about it, and you're joyful in the Lord. That's a good, good, good. So let me conclude the faces of fellowship in the local church this way. What did those people pray about? They're just like us. Just like us. They came together, and they prayed for one another and prayed for themselves. They prayed and praised God. They were grateful for everything they had.
They were grateful. I was talking to someone on the phone. Now, we reminded one another of that song. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. They had a grateful heart. They were praying for guidance. Lord, what should I do about my son or my daughter? What should I do about my job? How should I work out this problem? They were praying, Lord, keep me safe. Keep me safe in this environment here in Rome, here in Corinth. There are criminals here. The Roman Senate is threatening to make Christianity an outlaw religion. Caesar is saying no to Christ and saying, if you don't bow your knee to me, Caesar, I'll throw you in prison. What are we supposed to do? How are we going to handle this? They were praying about their health. If we have health issues today with all the medicines we have, think how it was in the days of that day. Rampant diseases across the culture. They were praying about money, praying about protection. They were asking God, God, show me your will in this. I just don't know exactly how to handle this, what to do, or what to do next. They prayed about their marriage. Lord, a lot of strain in my marriage, they would say probably. A lot of issues. I get so irritated sometimes. I get angry. I just want to quit. I want to walk out the door. Don't know what to say to this guy. Don't know what to say to this woman. Don't know what to think about all of this. Give me wisdom. Give me abilities to handle this. And my kids, Lord, help me. Lord, help me with these children. And that was whether they're four or 10 or 16 or 30 or 50 or 60 or 70. They're still your kids. And they're with you until the day you die or they die. And mainly they prayed about being faithful. Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to be faithful. I know many of you have heard of Charles Stanley, have you not? You know, a few years back, Charles Stanley went through a very rough time in his life. You probably never know it to look at him and hear him now, but it was very difficult. And during that time, someone said about him, I hope that Charles Stanley finishes well. Well, hey, who could finish any better than he's finishing up? A great man of God, still preaching and teaching at over 80 years of age, bringing the good word and living the Christian life. Yeah, he's finishing well because he believes in the Holy Spirit. In fact, when I read his book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, a few years ago, it gave me a whole new perspective on living in joy in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So why did the Holy Spirit come? Why are we filled with the Holy Spirit? So we can be demonstrators of the power of God in our lives in the church to the world around us. That's what it is. It's to be ambassadors for Christ, fishermen for Christ, to attract others because of our spirit-filled life. With that thought, I'd like to have prayer with you. If you will, bow with me, and I want to just remind you, Jesus brought the Holy Spirit to us, and I pray to God that you will be accepting Christ into your life, but also pray daily 
for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to pray with you for myself and for you as well to be renewed even right now in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Dear Father God, in Christ's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that each of us and all of us will open the door of our heart and receive anew and refresh right now the filling and fulfilling power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, for ourselves, our marriages, our children, our sicknesses, our goals, our dreams, our long-standing problems, issues that are dogging us, fears about the future. Lord, help us to resolve, to be devoted as a Christian to Christ and to be devoted to the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a great attraction for Christ in our world as well as being fulfilled. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And I pray that God will multiply the message today in many ways. And I want to thank our Facebook viewers for being with us. And I would like to ask you, if you will, please, to uh, share this message today on your Facebook with others and help us get the gospel message out as well. That's what we'd like to 